Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. So today we are in Genesis chapter 6, which gives to us how the sin of man so provokes God that he sends a flood. It also gives to us the faithfulness of Noah and how God uses him as an instrument to preserve the divine purpose in this world. Upon reading this chapter, we are faced with a number of challenges of interpretation. We are confronted with the sons of God and the daughters of men. And there's been debate over the years in relation to what, what's this saying? Because some have held the view that the sons of God are the, the godly line, the, the daughters of men are the ungodly line, and so you have an unequal yoke here between the godly and the ungodly. Others have taken the view that the sons of God are angels and the daughters of men are human, obviously, and there is a relationship between these angels that take human bodies and humanity. For many years, I was dogmatic on the fact that this is the former view. It is uh, the godly line of men with the ungodly line of, of women. But as I've studied the passage more, I'm at least open to another view. And I'll explain that view with the understanding that both views are viable. Let's, let's just put it that way. So part of the credibility to the latter view is in the fact that the sons of God, that term is often used in the Old Testament to refer to angels. We have a number of references in Job as well as a reference in Daniel chapter 3 where you have this angel-like, this something other than human character that is in the midst of the fiery furnace with Daniel's three friends. But the other issue comes in the New Testament, and this is where I was made to, to stop and think. Second Peter chapter 2 and the book of Jude give to us how God preserves his people in the midst of a corrupt world. And in doing so, examples are given. When you read Second Peter, it talks about angels, and then it talks about Noah, and then it talks about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you read that, sometimes you see three distinct stories. You have the angels, Noah, Sodom and Lot. And obviously you see the pairing of Sodom and Lot. So you read that and you think, well, this is God sparing Lot amidst the perversity of Sodom. But I think consistent exegesis would bring us to a point where really there's meant to be a pairing between Noah and the angels as well. And that's what made me pause. So if I'm trying to be faithful in exegeting Second Peter, it would seem like what Peter does is pull together these two historical examples in which God preserves his people in the midst of a corrupt world. One is preserving Noah in the midst of this time whenever there's this, this unequal yoke of angels and, and humanity, and the other is with the awful sins of the cities of the plain and God preserving Lot amidst the judgment of God. Both periods, of course, have their separate judgment that happens in their day. The flood and the fire and brimstone upon the cities of the plain. Now, of course, one of the arguments that comes in relation to such a, an idea is from Mark chapter 12, where Jesus says that, that angels don't marry. But Jude's point is that these angels kept not their first estate. And, and there may be in that the idea that they are they're devolving, they are they are rebelling against their actual order 
and doing something that God never intended them to do. Now, the other issue, <laughs> we don't really have time for all of this, but in verse 4, then, we are told of the giants, or what is referred to as Nephilim. Now, the question that arises, then, is, are these giants the product of the relations between the angels and, and women? But I would argue that, as Moses, under inspiration, records the history, he's telling us the opposite. Now, if you look at verse 4, allow me to retranslate it for you and read it as I read verse 4. If you look at it, it says, this is how I'm reading it. There were giants in the earth in those days, open parenthesis, and also after the time when the sons of God came in onto the daughters of men, close parenthesis, and they bare children. The same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. So I'm reading it as, as Moses saying, yes, there were giants in the earth in those days, and then also after, after the, the event of angels and women. Because we know that. We know that there were giants after the flood. If this was the product of angels and men, and that is wiped out by the flood, then how do these giants reappear? But the fact is, giants appeared before the flood, and they were there after the flood. And it's nothing to do with the angelic human rebellion that's going on in the world. And it would appear then that what Moses is saying is that the legends known in those days, the legendary stories of great men and great accomplishments, they didn't come from this wicked union of angels and men that came from these giants that God in his providence brought into the world that existed again before the flood and after the flood. But moving on, with all that wickedness going on, God must destroy the world. And so verse 8 tells us that he finds one faithful man, Noah by name, and he finds grace in the sight of the Lord. Not only does God uh, preserve Noah, he's also going to inform him, verse 13. He is also going to teach him his way of salvation. And all the details of the ark that follow, this is God's way of salvation in the midst of the destruction that is to come, all typifying the fact that there is a plan of redemption in which God is working out his will in order to save humanity in the midst of a corrupt world. So we come then to application, and this passage provides some for us. First of all, we see that whatever your view on whether it's the godly line, the ungodly line, or angels and women, whatever your view, clearly God hates an unequal yoke. And so let me speak to the young people that may be listening do not, do not, for any reason, get yourself involved with someone that is not a believer. If you're a child of God, then you have to look for those of your own kind and follow that pattern. Don't rebel against God. Find someone with the same worldview, the same value system, appreciates what you appreciate. And if you want to live a peaceful life, you vastly increase the likelihood of that if there is a meshing together of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So look for that, demand that, and accept no substitutes. Secondly, we see that perhaps no other passage in the entirety of Scripture gives to us evidence of God's hatred of sin. The only exception to that may indeed be the cross itself, where we see the perfect Son of God suffering. And as he suffers the judgment that we deserve for our sin, we see clearly that God does not in any way try to bend his rules or think lightly of sin. Sin is a serious thing. So it's clear here 
is clear in the cross as well. Thirdly, just as Noah is depicted as being faithful, yet ultimately we will see that he is not perfectly faithful, so it shows to us what it is we're looking for. We are looking for one who is faithful, and our Lord Jesus Christ then becomes the perfect Noah, Noah meaning comfort and rest. Christ is that true comfort and rest for sinners, and he alone is the one who is able to live faithfully, be obedient, and be perfectly righteous, obtaining the favour of God. And it's his righteousness then we need in order to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Fourthly, just to underline that the plans of the ark and the building of the ark provide the only way of salvation. It may have been that other men heard what Noah was saying and maybe even tried to form their own way of, of deliverance from the flood. Perhaps they took to heart and maybe they thought, well, we don't know if he's serious or not, but let's prepare anyway. And they, they tried to prepare their own thing. If they had made such plans, if there was such an effort, it ultimately failed. The only ones to survive are those that get into the ark, which again is a reminder. Men set up their own religion. They set up their own way of salvation. They try to follow a path. If there is a God, if there is a judgment, maybe he will see my sincere efforts here, but it will all collapse and be destroyed Ultimately, at the end, there's only one way that finds acceptance before God. That is the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. You need him, and without him, you perish. Fifthly, the passage mentions the covenant. This covenant could only be established because it is rooted in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the true, faithful Noah, and it is through Christ that blessings come upon humanity. So again, let us be thankful to God today let us praise him for his son because it's by the Lord Jesus Christ that he bestows blessings upon his people, preserves a remnant and provides for their needs.